Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast. Uh, today we have Joe Osavet uh, with us. He is the he's a former Tennessee volunteer assistant and uh, the creator of the Bold Offense. Coach, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing I'm doing pretty good, Coach. Thank you for coming on. Um, just in case for some reason nobody not nobody somebody doesn't know who you are or they haven't heard of your Bold Offense. Kind of how did you end up? Uh, most recently at Tennessee and designing kind of the bold offense. Where was kind of that progression from? Sure. Uh, well, I, was, I spent 16 years in junior college, um, three years at uh, a Division II stop, went back to be the head coach at junior college at a couple of stops, and then wind up coming with Pruitt staff to Tennessee three years ago. Um, bold offense was kind of created through all my stops, you know, I was a firm believer in the downhill run game. And as I, as I progressed and kind of got into this thing a little bit deeper, I wanted to keep those same principles with regards to that downhill run game. But because I didn't want to get plus in the box, I wanted to incorporate, and this is going back to the early 2000, maybe the late 1998, 99 even, we started to get into more of a read type of offense. We were always going to have even numbers in the box. Um, so we kind of did that in two different kind of ways, either reading a defender or RPO in a defender. At the time, it wasn't called RPO. And I came up with a name that was called secondary manipulation. Um, and that's kind of how we built upon that and stumbled upon it. It was a real successful offense um, throughout my tenure as a head coach and a play caller that really um, put uh, a lot of pressure on defenses. Um because it eliminated them the stems, we took advantage of aggressive fronts, and like I said, uh, had the ability to be plussed up or even number count in the box. Okay, and then uh, I mean, kind of what was that process like for you? I'm always curious when somebody's designing an offense, especially when they've had 15 plus years to do it. Well, where, where I mean, you kind of mentioned you you wanted to be able to run the ball and have a certain don't want to get too many numbers in the box, but where did you start? Was there a play when you very began this that like, okay, I have to make this work and we're building off of that. What was that process of like of creating your offense and how, and really how is it modified over that 15 year period? Obviously you've added secondary reads and so forth or RPOs yeah. as people want to call them. Sure. But how's that evolved? Yeah. So like I said, previously, I was a big power of type play and we were a weak side ISO team and we hung our hat on inside zone. Um, so those, and counter, uh, GT counter. So those were the kind of plays early on in my coach, even before I became a coordinator at Nassau Community College, that's something that we kind of hung our hat on. And obviously as you start to progress and this was gone, this was should 1995 and 96, then it started to become popular the zone read with rich rodriguez at west virginia people spreading out numbers um not playing in 21 personnel button 11 a little bit of 10 and just kind of each year going and studying places and studying how people kind of do things i wanted to keep those same principles and then just grow upon them and, and, and like i said not, not to get numbered up in the box and and then, and then as we move forward to the late 90s, um, I, we started out with just that stick RPO because what I found was happening is when we were in, in 
let's say we were in 11 personnel and we had that undersized slot at the time people were still playing it wasn't a lot of sub package so people were still playing with that kind of big bodied sam linebacker what was a disadvantage if you're running outside zone to put an undersized slot against that sam linebacker it's something that that sam linebacker had an advantage to and i think it was 1998 or 1999 we just started throwing that little stick rpo right now where if that sam wanted to fill the box on that outside zone you know be that support player in that outside zone we're going to throw the stick and then it kind of progressed into that because we had some success with it we said to ourselves what are the things that we can execute as an RPO and we kind of put our heads together and we took things in our sprint out package and things in our quick game and started to incorporate them into our RPO package and that like I said this was 99 and 2000. If you fast forward a little bit I went to then I I, I left you when I went to coach at LIU Post and they were a uh, doing a lot of spread things and a lot of things that that was unique to me that I've seen um, uh, reading second level defenders reading third level defenders and then when I went back to be the OC and the head coach back to JUCO I took a lot of those things you know as coaches I always call myself a, I always said I was a pirate I like to steal a lot of things but I like to take things that you have core principles on but then at the same token you could add maybe a little wrinkle from something that was on another play concept and then start to combine concepts and then what it really started to take off was when we went out and visited Art Browse at Baylor and then we started to get into a lot of stack component uh, uh, concepts yeah. where we're, we're horizontally stretching the defense pre-snap and I think that combined with RPO combined with tempo allowed us to make the defenses we faced very vanilla because they had to show their hand from a pre-snap alignment because we had so much width in our pre-snap alignment that it eliminated stems it eliminated a lot of pressures that you get from the secondary and it made the box very clear for the offensive line which for us was basically everything that we wanted to do from day one is make sure we can have our offensive linemen solely uh, base themselves on communication, fundamentals, and techniques. And, and if you can do that with eliminating a lot of the, the, the pre-snap checks or communication because of add-on pressures or stems, I think that that set us uh, above and beyond, and that's really what made the offense take off. When did you start adding tempo into your offense? Because I know tempo, because I've, I've watched some of your stuff, and I know tempo became a big portion of your offense um, when did that become prevalent, and, and what was the influence to go to that? Um, well, we were a huddle team, believe it or not, until the late 90s. I want to say, again, 99, 2000 is when I thought, you know what? Let's kind of simplify what we're doing on offense, eliminate a lot of the verbiage, and let's see if we can go a little bit quicker. Um, and that's kind of what we did. But we never wanted to substitute – tempo for execution if that makes sense so there was a fine line that we walked early on until and it, and, it, and if you remember in, in the in the early 2000s that's kind of when tempo started to come in mode mm -hmm. and just going out and seeing how people did it um I, I thought it was it was beneficial to us 
because I think it allowed us to cut down and condense our playbook. Because if you if you're a tempo team, you really have to zero in on the things that you're going to be efficient because you can't have a hundred play playbook when you're yeah. a tempo team. Um, I should say a hundred, a hundred uh, concepts. Yeah. You got to kind of have to narrow down what you're doing, what you can execute the high proficiency level at. And, and that's kind of what we did. And, and I think it helped us significantly because I think it allowed us to teach things conceptually. And with that being said, it gave us the, the ability to play faster because we eliminated concepts from our playbook, but the same token allowed us to play faster, which again, made defenses very vanilla. Now, on top of that, I mean, how did, what was your, and, and how did it really evolve when you're going tempo? Did you switch the wristbands, one word calls? Did you have, <laughs> we all Great remember question. the mid 2000s, um, the big old placard boards where yeah, you had all the fights. Yeah. What was we your. We started main- out with wristbands. Okay. Okay. And then we got away from it. And the reason why we got away from it is because we thought it slowed down by the time our guys got the signal look at the wristband, then get a line. And um, going and speaking to people at clinics and and talking to people, I I like the ability to have what we call our wide receivers running from the signal instead of looking at their wristband. And, And that's when it came down to, like I said, cutting down the verbiage. And, and to allude to the point you said, then we start to get into um, I forget who I heard speak. It was someone from the New England Patriots. I don't know if it was the OC or not at a clinic. And this was, again, this might have been 2001, 2002, where, where they started to talk about these one-word calls, which gave you the play, the direction, and, and, and so on and so forth. But um, So we started to, to um, get our hand, head around that and start to grasp that and start to do some of that. Um, the third thing that, that was important to us was, like I said, making sure that things from a verbiage standpoint, a communi- communication standpoint, allowed us the ability to play as fast as we possibly can. So the word association, the one word calls, all those things um, kind of created what the bulk offense was. Yeah. Um, and again, I pulled things from a lot of different places, but things that I can, that I thought could fit from what people doing with what people were doing conceptual, I thought would fit in our offense. I kind of pulled and took things, and that's kind of how we created it. Okay, and then I, like I said, I also when I was look, doing some background research for this, is I, I saw you, you said you like to be in the pistol. When was that transition to? Yeah. From gun to pistol, why? What is your preference there? Yep. Um, the reason why we went to pistol is because teams were starting to set their front predicated on where our back was offset. Yeah. Teams were pressuring us to where our back was. And we did it for two reasons. One, to eliminate tendencies from where our back was in a home spot. And two because we were such a uh, counter trade team and an inside zone team, those first four steps in pistol looked identical for those two plays. So what it allowed us when those two plays were run, it allowed us to set up those double teams for those linebackers because their first two steps were going to be downhill. 
Um, let me go back to when we started out this offense, there really wasn't a lot of odd front unless you got that Oki look on third yeah. down. So we, we were seeing a lot of over and under G front. So it was four hands and basically we were gapping everything. We didn't truly fully full zone block a run play in our offense. Then people started to play us more in sub package with a, a nickel and a three hands looked at them with four eyes and nose that mid front stuff. So we kind of had to adapt. We're getting hurt from that because you can't you can't get that double team in a four eye. You, you don't allow that tackle to get up to that linebacker and get picked off from that four eye. So we had to evolve into more of true zone stuff. But that's kind of how the answers kind of evolved with regards to how do you get to those second level linebackers if you're running outside zone. Because your tackles or guards, if you're running pin and pull or outside stretch, they're not going to get to them. So we had to have ability because we gapped everything early on to have an answer for what we called race linebackers that we couldn't get when they were fitting outside of the box really fast. Okay. So that's where the whole kind of our demon scheme came in. We we're reading second level defenders. So, so if, if I'm understanding you right, it's really the odd front pretty much created the next level of change for you exactly um, right what do you think i mean because the, the fad in college right now is not only the four eyes but also now that three high safety look okay does that does that three high safety look modify anything for you or give you any restrict anything you can do or cause you to make some changes or give you different options a way of attacking people well i think people are playing that preset Tampa or three double cloud look because they're trying to eliminate such explosive plays. But again, if you're playing, if you're playing any of those type coverages, I think your ability to run the football, you'd have to have some success because numbers will allow you to be able to do that. Um, you should have a good number count to run the football. Um, I don't think it limits you. I think there's things you got to do. Football is evolving every single year in regards to what defense is doing and how they're trying to attack you. So you have to be able on the, have to be able to be on the cutting edge to see what the new fad is in defensive football. But I, I don't I, I think from an offensive standpoint, if you don't do a good job recognizing how defenses are trying to attack you and have answers, then I think you're going to be behind in the eight ball. Um so to answer your question, not really. Um Again, you have to have answers for everything that the defense is trying to do to you from a structural standpoint. Um, so, I mean, that would be that would be my opinion on on that that three high safety look. Now, I mean, my other question for you is, is because I'm always curious when I'm talking to people who've coordinated offenses is how is your I mean, what is your standard? I mean, because there's a wide variety. There's the guys who have the play call sheet that's full, like a trifold that's like this wide and go forth and then there's the old Paul Johnson, Mike Lee towards a note card. Yeah. How, what does yours kind of typically look like and how has that evolved over the years? What do you kind of focus on? Yeah, great question. Um, I'm one of those little big, big things, but I, I, I have to have everything down. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm fascinated by those guys that have, you know, an index card as a call sheet. Um, to answer how I go about doing that. Yeah. And, People had heard me talk about that. You know, 
There was a book I had read by Brian Billick as a coordinator early on. I think I had too much volume, too many plays, didn't have the ability to have to rep all those things in practice. So my biggest thing was I wanted to be efficient and having enough practice reps from those particular scenarios to be able to execute those things. So it was kind of a formula that he had in that book, and it really, it really cleared the picture up for me in regards to what you should carry from a down and distance standpoint. And basically the formula is how many plays in a four game or whatever it is. I said, I used four, whatever it is from your weekly breakdown is divided by the number of games you do. So if the formula comes out that you need six plays in a second and four to six scenario, you're not going to carry eight. You're not going to carry three. And in addition to that, when you incorporate all those scenarios, and we used to put them on a huge game plan board, it allows you to be efficient in the ability to go out and execute those plays in practice. And I think that was really what kind of, as a coordinator early on, kind of got me right, if you will, with regards to how to go about game planning, not carrying too much, having the ability to go practice those things, per that D and D and allow us to, the capability to have success running those plays and feel comfortable in the game time. Now, do you script your opening series and then do you script the second half series at all? Yeah. Um, what we do is what we do is called a spider graph and it's kind of unique and uh, it, it would, it helped us because it allowed us to play fast for the first two series. Uh-huh. So basically what we did was, is we had our, and we only did it for two series. We had our opening series and then a true, how a true spider graph would look. Then it would go to second and long, second and medium, second and short, first and 10. And we kind of did that all the way down. It was kind of spider graph. We did that for two, the first two scenarios. But it was kind of good because we kind of knew exactly where we were going to. There was not a hesitation. Mm-hmm. It allowed us to, for the first two series to play lights out, real sonic fast um, in regards to what that play was. In addition to that, I think it allowed our players to know what we were going, what to expect in regards to the play calls for the first two series. And it kind of gave us an indication of what we were going to get formationally for that specific game because we tried to put a lot of things in there and show a lot of different things to see what we would get per D&D. Okay. Now, is there, like, and you mentioned right there, there's a lot of things you're looking for there. Is there anything specific you like to try to find out early on in those two opening series about defense and how they're going to? Yep. What were they going to do when we had our tight end attached? So we're an 11 personnel. We're going to get too high. We're going to get rock and roll safeties. Where were they going to fit that extra player in the box? And then additionally, what were we going to get to two-by-two open or three-by-one open? What what was the coverages that we thought during the week in our workup? Was that how they were going to play us? And if so, then we were golden with regards to kind of what we thought we were going to see or what would their adjustment be? For that week, like I said, because we we did a lot of different things formationally, um, uh, we saw a lot of different looks 
um, on the back end in regards to rock and roll safeties, people playing cloud or, or, or rotating, rotating things. So um, it kind of gave us an idea of what we're going to see for that game and allowed us to make adjustments real quick if there's something that we kind of thought was unique or different that we might not have caught on film or they're showing a, a different look to us. Okay. And then my, my next question to you is from it, from how much, what, what stats or key, I don't, what stats is probably a bad word, numbers, what are you looking for charting throughout the week? Like I know some coaches are very big on like explosive plays. How many did we have last week? How many did the, or what plays were explosive against that defense over the past couple weeks? Or I, I talked to one coach the other week and they were very big on play efficiency. It's like, I don't care what yards per game are. I don't care about that. How efficient were our plays? What plays were efficient? What plays weren't? Is there anything you focus on throughout the season and that you evaluate after the season? Um, well, during the week, and I think you got to do this week to week, there's a couple of factors. One, I think you have to make sure you're charting your tendencies. What plays you run from formationally that can tip your hand to the defensive coordinator. And to piggyback that, what can you do to disguise your best place formationally to, to, to eliminate your tendencies, if you will? In regards to what we chart um, during the game, we're charting explosive plays. We're charting run-pass ratio by down and distance, especially in your P&10s. You know, are you are you heavy run or you're heavy pass and you'll get them after every series in regards to where you are um you're charting third down coverages and pressures um and, and i'm talking about this is during the game yeah um during the week yeah you're going to do an explosive you're going to do an explosive play what plays um were successful against that defense what hurt them and and why um but that's kind of what the workups that we're doing um, during the game and more importantly uh, during game week you're kind of setting the table in regards to what is the front and the coverage when you come out in this formation I think that kind of is the 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 groundwork of step one of where you got to start your game plan what are they are they multiple front are they going to play in 11 personnel mm -hmm. in, in a four hands look are, are they going to play in 10 personnel and open sets are they going to play in a three-hand uh, look so i think you've got to kind of do your homework to find out what what the defense has done to you uh it's done to your opponents and, and kind of that's the foundation of where you start your game planning now my, ne my next question for you is um because i mean because obviously you're you're very rpo heavy and i, I think there's a, there's a trend amongst high school coaches heading that direction as well but i when i talk to a lot of like dc's the, the common answer is, oh, I'm, I'll just play man or man free. And coverage. And, 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 and leave five to seven in the box, depending on formations, et cetera, and, and deal with you there. Um, now, obviously, that doesn't always work because if my athletes are better than yours, blah, blah. But what do you, what do you recommend for OCs that, okay, they, they're just going to go man free or, or just trait zero against us and try to load the box that way? What is, what is your recommendation on how to attack that? Sure. Um, first thing, if people are playing man-to-man, -man, right, start to reload the back. Either start out empty or bring them back to the home spot, okay? Because we did the, the in-vogue thing was to get the man, 
get into a good protection you feel comfortable with. And again, it, it's, it could be a five-man protection. It could be a six-man protection. I always like to get everyone out and keep it five-man and try to get the back on the backer. Or if we thought we had a mismatch on the perimeter, try to go formation into the boundary, take our best receiver, put him to the field. There's a ton of different things. But if I know that you, if I get an indicator that you're going to play me in man, we're going to get right into our man beaters. And we're just going to rep the shit out of those type deals. Um, obviously, if they're going to play man-to-man, you're probably get, you're probably going to have an extra fitter in the box. Yeah. Uh, you'll probably have someone free. So you have to be really – you really have to utilize your backs and your option routes or your unders, your mesh concepts, your corner routes with your unders. Um, there's a lot of different things you can go to. But, again, it goes back to my earliest statement where you have to have answers – once you find out how that defense is trying to attack you. And 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 if you do that, uh, I always say pressure bust pipes and 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 if you have enough answers to do that, you'll have some success. Because all you gotta do is hit an explosive on them one or two times and and you'll you will you will eliminate those uh that man to man coverage. So I love seeing man to man. I get excited when I see man to man coverage because uh, you know, we know where we're going. So we can do a lot of rub routes pick things, get the back one-on-one versus a linebacker. And I think it's things that we'd have a lot of success doing. Okay. And then um, what, what what advice would you give to OCs who are de- either creating their own offense for the first time or developing their offense? Do you have any advice for them on as they build stuff, especially this offseason as we start? I mean, sure. not, I'm not going to say winding down. Number one, you But, yeah. Sure. Um no matter what you run and, and you have core fundamental values of what you want to run, um, make sure your personnel fits what you're doing from an offensive standpoint. And don't be afraid to adapt a little bit. And what do I mean by, I'll give you an example uh, that I learned from experience. Because we were such a high RPO zone read team, we always wanted to have an athletic quarterback to play in our offense. And we had a couple of times, especially on in my career where we didn't have that athletic guy. And I was still trying to do zone read RPO type things. With that being said, I probably should have went to more trigger RPOs where instead of zone read, if that mic fits outside or inside the cell, you throw and glance or stick. Like I had mentioned, instead of more of a zone read with a quarterback versus pulling punch RPO, and I quickly adapted to that, and, and I, hopefully that, that's a good uh, example of what I'm, I'm trying to say, that you have, even though you never have to give in to your core values of what you want to do from an offensive standpoint, but you might have to tinker around with what you're doing at specific spots, predicated on what they can do to, to execute at a high proficiency level. And it, it, as a new OC along with being able to adapt your offense to what your personnel is, understand that, especially now with Twitter and, and all these things, these, these resources you have on a computer, I mean, you could go out there and you could have a thousand plays. Hone in on what you want to do. Come up with a, a philosophy with you and your offensive coaching staff and decide what you want to be. So when, when that third down with the game on the line comes, you know what you're going to hang your hat on. 
and you're not just going to try to pull something out from left field. And I think once you kind of do that, and, and, it, and, and it's a learning, I mean, it's a learning experience. I didn't do that early on in my career. It, it took a lot of, um, of, of negative plays, losses to grow. And, and, and you have to be able to take those things when you get those negative plays, you get those losses or experience that come within a football game to write them down and learn from them and, and be able to move on and turn the page. And why did it happen? Was it a schematic thing? Was it a personnel thing? And be able to advance in, in, in your offensive production. Okay, Coach. And I, I, got, I got two more questions for you, Coach. One's a scheme-related thing, and one's kind of a more, I don't know, a, a studied thing. Is The, the, the common what – what I've found over, over the past couple of years is – I mean, obviously, man, and pattern matching is the other more common cover, especially at high school level. Um, and and I, it's not really the Earth Liz stuff. It's still a lot of the old TCU to read. Um, that's how we're going to attack you. What are your favorite ways to attack that coverage from a pass concept wise to, to help uh, high school coordinators? Yeah, people playing that two-read or two-trap deal, I love taking our outside guys and running them on the ticks. Here's a whole thing that I kind of do, too, and, and run your guys on Oki routes or sticks, trying to hold those corners and try to make those safeties come off the hash and play the outside, that, you know, 20, 25-yard honey hole, yeah. you know, on, on the boundary. Um as you're drawing things up conceptually from a pass, uh, passing uh, standpoint, you have to have some knowledge in regards to defensive coverages. Yeah. So I always, especially early on, I always drew up the coverage and what they were responsible for in regards to leverage, execution, and I kind of, you know, drew it up and then matched kind of where the past, the concept would kind of attack that. And if there's something I liked or something I kind of wanted to add, that's kind of how I went about doing it. Um, but any, any, anything in that two trap, a two read where you're getting, you know, you're getting that corner reading the release of two, you know, any, any whip route back in, you can run that inverted, inverted smash. I love the I love the double post into trap or two read. Anytime where we can try to get two on one on those safeties, or in fact run you know two verticals and get them up the hash like that two, uh, 20 25 yard honey hole right there is how I kind of would attack that. Um, but occupy those corners somehow and throw some tick balls um, is how I would attack that type of coverage. Okay, and then, and then my last question for you is who. Who do you like to study? Who do you like to follow? Who do you watch? Um, obviously, as, as we talked earlier in the podcast, football is evolving every day. It, it's changing. It's evolving. NFL, high school, college, offensively, defensively. Um, but who do, you, who do you, like, enjoy watching and enjoy studying? You know, this is, this is kind of going to be a, not a great answer, but I kind of like watching everything. And it don't matter if it's a temp offense if it's a if it's a, a 21 personnel is I think if you kind of find out how and and the good thing with me is I had the ability to have have every single game footage from NFL to every single college 
especially the past three years at Tennessee and on my hard drive, you study so many things. Um, so there's not like one offense that's greater than the other. I think how I kind of watch film is I kind of break it down by down and distance, if you will, and yeah. see what people are playing. You see the different pressures that defenses are bringing. You see the defensive fronts when the tight ends attached or the tight ends maybe at number two. Um, are they playing stubby? Are they playing stump? Are they playing poach? That's kind of how I watch film. I don't really watch film like from a team perspective that this is the way that this is who I kind of like. I kind of more watch it uh, specific by down and distance or specific by protections or specific by run game. Um, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, it does. There's not a particular team that I kind of look at. No, I, I think that's a good little tidbit there about what you're watching specifically. Because everybody does it a little differently, and I'm always curious how people do it. Especially when, I mean, and I think that's a good point right there is, okay, I'm, I'm more carried to care about down and distance, what people are running, okay, and then kind of break it down by scheme. So I think that's a yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you watch something and can see coverage, protection, what the play concept is, what's the quarterback's read. I think you really got to hone in on specifics when you're watching film, either offensively and defensively, to get the gist of what's trying to go on. Because if you're trying to get the gist of all 22 players and what the coverage is, what the offensive concept is, are you honing in what the – is it a middle field open, middle field close read? You kind of get blurred. You kind of become a spectator rather than to hone in to what you're kind of looking at. That's why when I kind of watch film, I'm I'm looking either like it's 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 specifics. I'm looking at protection. I'm looking at run blocking scheme maybe. I'm looking at back end coverage in by formation. I'm looking at D and D concepts. So this way I get I I can't watch a play and hone in on all 22 players and conceptually get a feel of what they're doing defensively and how the offense is trying to attack it. I, I don't have the capability to do that. Some people might. But when I'm looking at things and I'm taking notes down, I'm looking at something specifically what my study is for that yeah. uh, footage or that that down and distance scenario. Coaches, that was another episode of the Gap Downbacker podcast. Make sure you check out our sponsors and affiliates below. Uh, make sure you give Coach a follow on Twitter. His Twitter handle will be below. Uh, link to his Coach Tube will be below. Um, also, Coach I know has a series of DVDs with was what was it Coach's Choice or who was it through Coach? Yeah, Coach's Choice. Coach's Choice. So if you want more information on his bold offense, that's another area you can look at for that. Um, and then, um, as always, if there's any specific part of this video you want to go back to and uh, listen to. Um, whether it be on YouTube or on one of the podcast apps, the tags will be in the bio. So you can go back to that specific time code and be good to go. Um, thank you coaches. And that was another episode of the gap down backer podcast.